Welcome back to another episode of Actually Autistic Educator. Quick reminder that transcripts for this and all episodes provided by Interact are always posted as a link in the show notes and shared on Twitter and Facebook if that's easier. We're finally wrapping up our three-part series on autistic communication today, focusing on looking at it through the lens of the double empathy idea. So I've mentioned this in passing in prior episodes, but a major new way of looking at autistic communication has been seen in recent years. Instead of the deficit model seen in most clinical and educational descriptions of autism, where all differences between autistic and non-autistic communication are seen as flaws or lesser, and which underpins most writings on autism by non-autistics in any field, a 2012 paper by Dr. Damien Milton titled On the Ontological Status of Autism, the Double Empathy Problem, re-examines difficulties in communication between autistics and non-autistics as being due to differences of what he calls reciprocity and mutuality. That autistics tend to view and interact with the world in certain ways, and non-autistics often view it differently, causing problems on both sides regarding communication. This is actually a pretty simple concept and makes a lot of sense. Communication relies on both people having a similar understanding of words and what seems normal. I'm from the US, but I lived in England for my junior year abroad, and despite us all speaking English, there were language differences. I asked if a friend had what they thought meant a baby's pacifier when I meant a heavy blanket. I had no idea why anyone would put food in a boot until I learned that was the trunk and many other differences. Likewise, my students who are learning English often express frustration that a concept that makes perfect sense in their heads, they don't have the vocabulary in English to describe, and then are made to feel unintelligent. I always validate that, yeah, it's not fair that they are being judged when they are having to do 200% of the work to be understood by someone who likely can't speak any other languages. It's not a reflection of the quality of your thinking just because someone else can't understand the ways you communicate. I think if we consider autistic as another language, or at least a dialect, it becomes a lot easier to understand the ways we communicate as being different, but not wrong. I love this quote from an article from 2020 titled, Facial Expression Production and Recognition in Autism Spectrum Disorders, A Shifting Landscape. Autism research is now shifting towards an emphasis on the differences in certain abilities between autistic and neurotypical people. In the example of facial expression, when feeling sad, an autistic person might move their face into an expression that is not the downturned mouth expression that most neurotypical individuals would adopt. One consequence of this is that, because this expression is different from the norm, a neurotypical person might not recognize that the autistic person is feeling sad. Similarly, because the neurotypical person expresses their sadness in a different way from the autistic person, the autistic individual might not recognize the neurotypical individual's sadness. This bi-directional approach to evaluating social interactions leads to consideration of both sides of the interaction. Quote, this is so in keeping with my own experiences. 
After 11 years together, my fiancé has finally learned to read my signals when I'm not intentionally masking, and it's incredibly weird. For the first time in my life, someone non-autistic can correctly identify my emotions consistently. Every so often, I think I'm not showing my emotions because I'm carefully not masking in ways that would help people correctly interpret my mood, because I don't feel like dealing with something. And he jumps in with, why are you upset? And I'm like, uh, excuse me, I did not give you permission to accurately interpret my emotional state. Also, a good chunk of his close friends now are autistic, and it's so lovely watching him interact with them and the ease of communication in both directions now that he's learned to meet us halfway. So to be clear, this is something that non-autistics can learn to do. It just requires them to be willing to put in the work partially, too. And accepting autistic traits, mannerisms, and preferences as genuinely being equally valid, rather than demanding autistics take on 100% of the communication burden due to these differences. A new study titled Mutual Misunderstanding, Reframing Autistic Pragmatic Impairments Using Relevance Theory, by Williams et al., actually identifies some specific hallmarks of this autistic language and provides evidence to support this understanding of autistic communication through the double empathy lens. In past episodes, we have seen extensive research showing that autistics actually communicate very effectively with each other. The breakdown in communication only occurs when the goal is communicating between autistics and non-autistics such as Crompton's Autistic Peer-to-Peer -peer Information Transfer is Highly Effective. And we have also looked at studies regarding prejudice by non-autistics based on the mannerisms of autistics and not our actual words, such as Sasson's Neurotypical Peers are less willing to interact with those with autism based on thin-slice judgments. But what I love about Williams' article in particular is it went beyond just noting that effective communication between autistics exists, the results here give us a great set of some autistic preferences for communication, which non-autistics should certainly be aware of and work to learn to adapt to if they want to communicate effectively with us as students, clients, patients, and coworkers. If you work as an educator or therapist especially, I strongly recommend you read the article. But the most interesting theme to me was the connection between autistic monotropism our intense and deeper focus, and the preference of autistics to speak in longer chunks rather than short, more cursory sentences, as well as being understanding of pauses and helping other autistics find words or ideas to finish these larger messages. Past guest Morgan actually recognized and commented about this in my first recording with them. They appreciated that as a fellow autistic, I don't interrupt or seek to jump in when Morgan is still working on phrasing and has not finished a full thought, even when paused after having spoken several sentences. And it's probably one of the reasons why we can recognize each other unconsciously in groups before even having a diagnosis ourselves. We found other people who communicate like us in all these small, different ways, and it is just so wonderful. I will admit to some audio editing for this show, by the way, between long pauses and the fact that it turns out I say completely agreed after every time someone speaks. 
I do edit this all for flow. But I have to say, I love recording these interviews because we are all so aware that this is an explicitly supportive space where we can be as monotropic as we like without judgment. Some say autistic monologuing is a deficit. I say it makes me a podcaster. We have two guests today. First, I'm speaking with my sibling, Katie Clifton, a licensed biology teacher whose pronouns are they, them. Quick note, we do mention our brother, Nikki. I am the oldest. He was the middle child two years younger than me, and Katie was the youngest at another two years behind him, at least for much of our childhood before more siblings came along. Unfortunately, Nikki passed away several years ago. But our perspective of him and his communication skills has a lot of differences compared to how non-autistics viewed him. So, Katie, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. I know we've had a lot of conversations informally about ease of communication that we've experienced with fellow autistics. And I was wondering what your experiences have been on that topic. Sure. My experiences have probably lined up very much with a lot of autistic. I find that communicating with fellow autistics just feels simpler because you don't have to mask. You don't have to worry that you are using the wrong eye contact or something of that nature. And uh, when I communicate with non-autistics, I don't necessarily have to do that with all of them that know who I am and are comfortable with me. But it is so ingrained from years of having to do it that even with the people who I am comfortable with, I end up masking if I wouldn't normally even have to. Yeah, that's definitely something I run into where I've had friends who I've talked to about autism and they've said, oh, oh, you don't have to worry about masking around me. It's okay. And I'm like, that's, that's cool. I appreciate the thought, but the problem is it's so ingrained in us socially that this is something we have to do all of the time. It's not like I'm consciously thinking, ah, yes, I shall now mask. It's just on autopilot of like, oh, I am in public, people are seeing me, therefore here's the list of things that I need to make sure I'm doing. Of, oh yeah, facial features, those are a thing. Um, how, how much have I been talking? Have I been talking too much? Oh, wait, um, I'm not sure now. What am I supposed to say to them? They've been talking, should I interrupt to show I'm paying attention? But that feels rude, but at the same time, that's what they do, so it's, It just creates a very stressful situation that even around people who I didn't know were autistic, there have been so many of my friends who have since gotten autism diagnoses and we've been friends for like a decade. And it's like, ah, yes, this makes sense. In retrospect, you have always just been like, ah, you are soothing to be around. I don't necessarily know why, but you are just soothing. It's less exhausting. Exactly. And I know we've spoken on the podcast in the past about several studies showing autistics can communicate easily and effectively with each other to the same degree that non-autistics can, calling that whole autistic cerbatic communication into question. But what's interesting is a lot of the discussion around that usually focus on autistics who are speaking and who aren't viewed as having various impairments, 
But what's interesting is our brother was labeled as non-speaking, which is not the correct label in my opinion, as he spoke extensively. He just only spoke through movie lines and was classified as having an IQ unable to be measured. I remember as a kid, adults not being able to understand him and vice versa, but I can't remember ever actually struggling myself. I could always get him to understand me and I could always understand what he thought. And I'm curious your your perspective and thoughts there too. Yeah, we communicated through movie lines. I remember having very little difficulty, even from a young age, of picking up on the fact that he was expressing more than just what he wanted to say. It was it was deeper than that. It was the emotional context within the quote that he was saying. So the quote wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with the situation. But if you looked at the context within the movie of what that character was feeling at the time, you could very clearly tell what Nikki was feeling. And that was always very obvious to me. I found it so interesting growing up that people would say that he was nonverbal because I was like, how he's communicating deep emotional concepts to us in what is frankly a very simple way to get across that concept. It really is. And honestly, I I think it's probably why so many of the autistics I'm friends with, we're very into the concept of memes because they let you take a very often complex situation and break it down and describe it in something as short of when you're getting into like repeated phrases and whatnot, even just, you know, typing the word mood it immediately, if you know what that means, you go, ah, you're empathizing with my current situation. You're saying that you've had the same circumstances happen to you and that you know where I'm coming from and you're sharing both your support for me and also your acknowledgement that this is a very real way to feel. All in just that one word. If everyone knows the references, you can get them through super fast. So it's a very, and again, that's very autistic where I feel like we often are very effective at communicating, but when we're speaking with other autistics. Autistic communication is just objectively better. It really is. You can cut that if you want, but you can leave it in too. Um, Uh, I I might keep some of this. It's (laughs) So I know we make jokes about autistic communication being superior, but I will point out that In a lot of ways, because we rely on explicit verbal check-ins or other nonverbal check-ins as well, such as adding in emoticons to our text, thumbs up or down, different other things, but we tend to like having explicit concrete check-ins occasionally, and it's a very effective method for finding out are we on track or not. As a result, it's very easy to avoid some of the simple miscommunications that make up Well, based on what sitcoms have shown me, 90% of non-autistic communication is just people not correctly mind-reading each other and would massively benefit from just learning to verbalize their feelings or state them in other ways. So I do really think there's some serious advantages, and that's one of the big pushes that a lot of autistic advocates are saying. It's not that social skills training as a concept is inherently bad. The problem is 
the vast majority of time, what they mean is we're going to teach autistics how to pretend to communicate like non-autistics, which as we've talked about before, can cause all sorts of serious mental health concerns and reduce your mental capacity for understanding other things. If we actually had social skills training for everyone that taught things like understanding your own emotional state, asking people explicitly rather than trying to rely on them understanding what you're hinting at, which can vary depending on language use. If someone is speaking in a language that is not their native tongue, it can be a lot harder to pick up on these things. So I think as as much as it's funny to joke about autistic communication being superior, I do genuinely think that non-autistics could really learn from our focus of, hey, let's double check. Let's just check in on this explicitly rather than getting upset that someone didn't read our mind. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today for this short chat. Looking forward to speaking with you again for our upcoming episode about autistic food and eating issues. Next, we're talking again with previous guest, Amanda. So this episode is talking about the double empathy problem versus the prevalent idea in autism research by non-autistics that autistic communication is inherently deficient and also that our personal empathy is deficient. Please tell my hyper-empathy that, that we, we do not have empathy. Yes, I'm like, if anything, we tend to have very strong empathetic responses, but it often gets triggered by things different than people expect. And sometimes people do things where I'm like, but you were, you were the party harming someone else. The uh-huh. fact that you felt uncomfortable because it was pointed out to you does not in fact make you the injured party. Like I get that you're my friend, but I'm not going to give you emotional validation. And people have looked at that and gone, well, you're just not understanding. You're not being empathetic. And I'm like, well, but they, they were very mean to that other person. And then when it was pointed out to them, they cried and said that that was the mean part. And I'm like, that's, but that's not. And the argument is always, but they're our friend. I'm like, yes, I know. But for our, my friend can be wrong about something that if I'm going to be helpful, I shouldn't just validate when they're being hurtful to other human beings but that goes outside the, the empathetic social model that neurotypicals mm-hmm. often favor. And I'm like, that's not really, like if we want to pathologize something, I feel like that's a much more concerning behavior to pathologize than being too logical. It, it is. I fully feel like there, and this is not the greatest one-to-one comparison, but there is a neurotypical version of white women's tears where you will be like, hey, don't know if you know this thing that you did hurt me a lot and they're like but that wouldn't have hurt me why why are you coming at me about this thing it's like i'm not trying to like come at you about the thing necessarily but just so you know this thing is hurtful but this thing can't and they get into this thing can't be hurtful because it wouldn't hurt me and i'm a good person so i wouldn't do hurtful things and you get caught up in a spiral of yeah don't worry you're a good person versus addressing yeah this whatever is something happen. I've had this conversation um, with with several other autistics this week of just not understanding because we often have a very strong sense of, I would like to not be wrong. Uh-huh. So like if my friend tells me, hey, um, the way you phrased that is hurtful to me, my immediate response is to go, oh my goodness, 
okay, how can I fix it so I am no longer being hurtful to my friend because they are my friend and I care about them. I would like to not hurt them. And that seems like a very easy to understand concept, but when we actually look at a lot of these social models, we see it with trans and non-binary people very politely correcting mm-hmm. a pronoun and someone making it all about themselves of like, well, this is just so hard on me. You don't understand what it's like. And I'm like, they're putting the emotional energy out there to tell you, hey, this is what you should use for me. That's them being nice. Like if they're telling you this is how to make this better, that's a very positive thing for me to hear from someone because it means they care enough to want us to have a good communication. Yep. If someone feels enough of a connection with you to bother correcting you, that bodes well for their feelings towards you versus being like, well, I'm going to write this person off because obviously... Yeah, and that's it's one of those things where I I get that there are definitely some differences and I'm not going to pretend that like I've never felt defensive. Mm-hmm. Of course I have. You know, we all do. But I think that there's a lot of things that are strengths because of the way the autistic mind processes certain information and I think also probably because we've had, you know, the vast majority of us have had to deal with people misunderstanding us or hurting us and claiming that it couldn't be, that we don't want to do that to other people. And again, it's not everyone. There's definitely some people care more others. Uh, As you said, there's also sometimes there's definitely some gender things at play regarding the socialization Uh that different people have had that probably factors in here. But it's just a good reminder that when we automatically pathologize differences we could really be missing an opportunity to look at some of these things and say, hey, what are some things that autistic people do that maybe we could be better about? Yeah, I I feel like it's such a mistake to treat everything of autistic culture and the neurotype as like, this is a deficit and there's nothing of value here because it's different. When like, yeah, there's some things that don't work super well for me in like this modern industrialized age, but that doesn't necessarily make them a deficit. I think that's one of my biggest frustrations about the ways autism is talked about and viewed by non-autistics who have then taught this is how we should interpret autistic behavior. It's so centered on this idea you mentioned about this thing that works for you hurts me. And the utter disbelief that non-autistic parents, teachers, therapists, have that our needs and preferences are so different. I think it's what draws many of us to each other, even without a diagnosis or formal understanding. We just feel right and safe with others who aren't so rigid in what they think communication needs to be. That was one of the conversations I was having with with Gigi uh, when we were recording, where I've known her for quite a few years. And when we met, We both had this thing of like, you are a cool person. I like you. I would like to spend more time with you. I feel slightly awkward about this. Like maybe am I being weird or stalkery, but just you seem cool. And that's also how I felt when I first saw you. I'm like, oh, she, she just seems cool. And there's all of these different people who I've connected with and, you know, we spend all this time together online through social media and sometimes in person, but text is also so soothing. I love communicating with people online through text. Text is wonderful. I love that emojis exist and I can just be like, just to clarify. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, and and as a result, it's been funny watching how many of these people over the last 10 years have suddenly been getting autism diagnoses. And I'm like, oh, which I mean, I'm, there's many reasons about these people. I like them other than the fact that they're autistic. They're also very cool human beings. Yes. But I feel like there's something that just feels incredibly soothing and right when we're able to have these connections with each other that is just so important for for us it's it really is it it honestly really really is and that's why like it makes me sad when I hear other people talk about how they're like yeah I connected with the only other autistic child in my class and they deliberately separated us because they were like no must be able to socialize with and it's like that's Well, it is important to learn socialization skills. Taking away someone's one close friend doesn't seem like that reinforces that people are something cool that you want to hang out with. Yeah, yeah, that's... Again, I think it's it's really important for, for professionals to, you know, who are working in early childhood ed, uh, either as an educator or, you know, as a support person, to understand that our priorities and our comfort might be very different Thank you so much, Amanda. It is always a pleasure to get your thoughts and perspectives here. I want to wrap up with reading a poem written by autistic activist Jim Sinclair called The Bridge, as shared in the 1991 article Exploring the Experience of Autism Through First-Hand Accounts. I first read it several years ago, and it just felt like it encapsulated so much of my life as an autistic trying to build ways to communicate with others, and where they were willing to meet me. I built a bridge, out of nowhere, across nothingness, and wondered if there would be something on the other side. I built a bridge out of fog, across darkness, and hoped that there would be light on the other side. I built a bridge, out of despair, across oblivion, and knew that there would be hope on the other side. I built a bridge out of helplessness, across chaos, and trusted that there would be strength on the other side. I built a bridge out of hell, across terror, and it was a good bridge, a strong bridge, a beautiful bridge. It was a bridge I built myself, with only my hands for tools, my obstinacy for supports, my faith for spans, my blood for rivets. I built a bridge and crossed it, but there was no one there to meet me on the other side. To the autistics listening, you are amazing. No one should have to work so hard to be understood. Your ways of thinking and sharing are just as valid as any other, and you deserve to be appreciated exactly as you are. For non-autistics, please, We are reaching out in so many ways to build these bridges of communication, but so often we are met only with non-autistic frustration that we couldn't span the gulf entirely on our own, so we end up falling instead. Thank you for listening to us, and I hope you will think on ways that you can help build bridges of your own to meet us at least halfway. As always, I'd love to connect with all of you on Facebook or Twitter to talk about this episode or other aspects of autism. 
especially on Twitter, I tend to post the most there, both serious stuff along with fun autism memes and satire. I seriously live for autistic satire. It is utterly delightful. New episodes drop first of the month with many episodes in between, and likes, shares, reviews, and subscribes are always appreciated. Transcriptions and support are provided by Interact, the International Alliance for Care and Threat Teams, supporting your day-to-day -day work in counseling disability services, student conduct, law enforcement, care and threat teams, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check us out at Interact, that's I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-T dot org.